I was telling uh, Lauren Simone, it has literally been almost a year since I sat over there. I had just joined 11FS. You were my first podcast interview. Your interview is the most popular one. No, it's got the most hits, the most downloads, more people talk about it. And it's funny because there's three things that have changed since then. Three things that are different in the past year. So uh, one was when I talked to you last time, you were talking to me about Promise Homes, but can you kind of describe what Promise Homes is and how over this past year has exploded and what you're doing? So Promise Homes is in many ways, first of all, great to see you. You're, you're, you're a living legend in podcasting and you don't walk on water, but you know where the stones are. No, you're a great guy and I'm, uh, I literally will do whatever it is you ask me to do. I just, just say yes and figure out what the content is later. Uh, you have good energy. So Promise Homes Company is a way, was a way for me to combine all my passions. Doing well and doing good too. Free enterprise, capitalism, ownership opportunity, empowerment, giving back, proving that you can run a responsible, profitable enterprise and not treat people like crap. You don't have to be a jerk to be successful. And so we and that a nonprofit can actually lean in and help a for-profit commercial enterprise to be successful. So the Promise Homes Company is now the largest uh, minority-controlled institutional quality owner of single-family rental real estate in America. Uh, we own 500 homes here in Atlanta. That's uh, a $50 million company. Started at zero when you were here last June. Um, we'll be at $75 million by September. We'll be at $100 million by January. Um, the goal is to be a half a billion dollar company in two years and a billion dollar company in three years. Um, and um, the philosophy of the company is really simple. One, we treat our renters as residents. As close to owners and an ownership mentality as possible. So the more we encourage them to take ownership of the properties, the better they're going to take care of the properties. And the more they lean into their own lives, the better off I am as a guy who is, I guess, their landlord. But in a very simple term, if we can help you raise your credit score from 600 to 625, um, you're going to have less arguments at home with your husband or your wife. You're going to have less financial stress. You're going to have more control over your life. We're going to reward you with a gift card uh, from the Promise Homes Company to go buy some groceries or to uh, uh, pay your phone bill or to uh, buy some back-to-school supplies. But it'll reduce the cost of you living. When you, reduce, when you increase your credit score to 700, we're going to reduce your rent by 10% permanently. That's a chunk, man. I mean, that, that, is, that is a chunk. I mean, the biggest thing you pay is rent or mortgage. Yeah. So if we can reduce it from $1,000 a month to $900 a month, transforms your life. So is that us giving away shareholder value? No, it's creating shareholder value. Why? Because if you have a 550 or 580 credit score, I'm chasing you for rent. You're not paying your bills. I, and now, so you're either two days late or two months late, but whatever it is, now I'm hitting you with late fees and I've got to get the, get the courts involved and I've got to send letters to you and I've got my people got to call you, email you, text you, send flares. That's burning up my people's time. It's frustrating us. It's cost, increasing our costs. We're passing it on to you, but meanwhile, you hate us. So we don't like you. You hate us. It's an adversarial relationship. And whatever the fee is, it's not worth it. But if I can get your credit score up to 700, Sam, you're paying like a coupon. I mean, you're paying on time every month. I'm not hassling you. You like me. 
uh, I like you, uh, and uh, and I think that an on-time payment at six at, at nine hundred and ten bucks is better than a thousand dollar payment that is uh, Chinese water torture every uh, sixty days, right? So we think that that the whole enterprise has more value if if we have people who are paying on time, and I think that's worth giving up some short term income. Um, you want to make money or you want to build wealth? I, I think there's a difference. And you want to run a sustainable business or you want to just get paid and get as much as you can off the table as quick as you can. I think that's just a short-term play. The second thing we do is if you uh, live in these building, these properties, these homes of ours, uh, you're going to have a plumbing issue at some point, an electrical issue, landscaping. We're going to paint the house every couple of years or whatever. Um, well, if I own 500 homes or 1,000 homes, that's a lot of work at about 25 bucks an hour, which is a good job. It's a middle-class job, Sam. Well, why contract it out to a national company? As the owner, I can now say I want all those jobs to be local. So now, if you're living in the neighborhood, living in the community, I'm going to give those plumbing jobs, lighting jobs, landscaping jobs, roofing jobs to those who live in the neighborhoods now recycling dollars in the community and supporting small business. That's good for everybody. Um, promoting economic development. The third thing we do is even with me for five years, I'll give you a, chan a chance to actually own the house you're renting from me. I'll actually back you to the lender to go from being a renter to being an owner, um, which is good for you and good for me because I get a return of capital. I get the benefit of the appreciation over the time that you've been in the property. My investors get some of their money back. You become a homeowner at market rates. Every, fair exchange is no robbery, as my friend Robert Grew would say. It's just win-win for everybody. The business model is just that simple. And, um, the, the, and we're partnering with Operation Hope. We pay Operation Hope uh, a fee to be a member at arm's length so that no one thinks that I'm taking advantage of my own organization, even though services of Operation Hope are free. One, to give Operation Hope some resources, but also to have a structured relationship with Hope uh, just like everybody else, so that you can see that a for-profit enterprise can benefit from having a non-profit association. Because the work of Operation Hope is actually making Promise Homes a stronger company. Well, you've said this a couple of times, you want to change the community, raise the credit score. That's actually one of my favorite quotes, right? And it's got nothing to do with race, ethnicity, anything like There's that. There's never been a riot in a 700 credit score neighborhood in all of America's history. Folks in 700 credit score communities don't riot, they go shopping. They spend time with their families. They chill. They go out to the club on Saturday night and have a nice leisurely dinner. They go to the museums. All right? They spend time with their families. It's typically a two-parent household. They're going to the museum once a month. They're going to dinner once a week. They're supporting the small business when they're going to that uh, dinner. Um, it's a completely different community. It's, it's a bank, not a check casher uh, it, down the street. It's, it's Starbucks, not the dollar store. Right. This is a completely different environment, but if you want to see all the problems in America, go to a 500 credit score neighborhood, yeah. and you'll see a check casher next to a payday loan lender, next to a rent-to-own store, next to a title lender, next to a liquor store, and a church down the street trying to make it all feel just a little bit better. And if you close your eyes and you take race out of it, it doesn't matter, that example I gave you, whether you're in a black and brown urban community or a white or a white rural community in the Appalachians or wherever, it's exactly the same. So the color's not white, black, red, brown, or yellow as in race, but green, at least in the U.S., as in currency. The problems we have in America are there are not enough good jobs, there's not enough aspiration. 
that you don't believe your children are going to do as well as you've done, that you feel threatened. Some of people feel threatened that somehow black and brown people are minorities or whatever, quote, taking their jobs, which is just literally not true. I mean, nine out of ten, ten job deaths in the last decade have been because of automation, not immigration. <laughs> well, we see that, right? I mean, we're, I, mean I love this Robotics. topic. Well, it is, right? I mean, it's we're, we're not seeing an increase in, in wages, right? I mean, that's a... You know, we can talk about the unemployment rate, but you get back to what are you actually make and can you actually live? And we're seeing elections like we saw in New York, right, um, based off that message. Yeah, this is a big problem, Sam. I mean, uh, I was doing Squawk Box yesterday, and one of the guys from a big private equity firm met me outside and said, look, the wealth gap, the income equality gap, this is not just philosophical. We need to, he, he said this, we need to all remember Marie Antoinette. It took me a minute to, like, focus on what he was saying, but what he was saying was, look, when the wealthy just are focusing on doing nothing but getting wealthy and you're not concerned about the least of these God's children, societies don't crater from the top. The crater at the bottom and everybody falls in. And Marie Antoinette and the royal family lost their heads quite literally because they weren't concerned about the plight of the least of these God's children. And when people feel that you don't care about them, that they're invisible, and in my book, The Memo, I talk about the entire group of people being the invisible class, whether you're white, black, red, brown, or yellow, you want to see some more green. 70% um, of Americans are living from paycheck to paycheck, right? But not just here, it's in London, it's in most developed countries in the world, just living from paycheck to paycheck. But by the way, those are the ones driving the, the, the economy also. So uh, this is, I tell my wealthy friends, if, if you want to own more wealth, you need poor people to do better. If all you're concerned about is having more wealth, then you need to make sure that poor people are doing better. Not only because you don't want problems like anarchy, but what do you think the wealth is coming from that you're, if you're an owner of GM stock, or you're an, who do you think is buying all the cars? You're an owner of Ford stock, you're a majority owner of Ford, who do you think is buying the F-250 and F-150 trucks? Not the wealthy, it's the average person. I mean, you're an owner of Starbucks stock or uh, a utility company or uh, a maker of, uh, of home appliances, uh, microwaves. What do you think? And by the way, all these things, Sam, created, were created for the wealthy. The microwave was initially a toy for the wealthy. The phone was a toy for the wealthy. The automobile was a toy for the wealthy. The, the horse and buggy was a toy for the wealthy. Not a toy, but a trinket, a, a, an opportunity for the wealthy. The boat was a toy for the wealthy. Uh, but it was only because the least of these indoor plumbing was a privilege of the wealthy. It was only when the least of these God's children, when these things became uh, commoditized for everybody, the masses, is when the shareholder value of the companies that made them went through the roof. So literally, we're all connected, quite literally. And I'd be curious then based on that, because a lot of what you do is, is this groundswell type engagement, right, with your customers. We talk a lot in the U.S., though, when we look at our economy and you look at our GDP, and if you were to look at the New York Stock Exchange or the S&P, right, companies like Facebook, Apple, Google, the tech side is getting an ever-increasing share. Do you think, at least in the U.S., I know what it's like in Europe. We've done a, I say we, because I think of myself as European a lot. You're a global citizen. A global citizen. And we definitely in an honorary black man, too. We, I told you we were going to church. It, but it was this concept of embracing technology to, to lift folks out, right? I mean, M-Pesa and what would happen in Africa. In the U.S., I still think we struggle. 
personally. I'm still you know, still finding those technology solutions. I know folks like Ramona Ortega, who I think you know, and some others have done some great stuff, but do you think we're doing enough or we're focusing enough? We're doing a lot in the wrong direction. Um, I, when I was doing the show yesterday morning, I said we, we believe genuinely we live in a meritocracy. Uh, but in reality, you have an opportunity ghost all around us. So, okay, unemployment is at an all-time low. Okay, I was asked, so isn't that good news for African Americans? As an example, we serve all people. But yeah. talk, just take African Americans, for example. The answer is yes, but absolutely no. Meaning, yes, the jobs have increased, but they're crappy jobs. These are retail jobs. These are fast food jobs. These are jobs that are going away in 10 to 20 years because of automation. 40% of all jobs in the world, poof, will just go away. So you are being hired into nowhere. And 44% of all African Americans, in this example I'm giving, have a credit score below 620. Well, you can't access the capital markets at 620. You can't own. You can't start a small business like the guy that I put in business. This, the, the shirt that I'm wearing and the suit that I'm wearing today, Ryan Taylor Drove Clothing. We had to get his credit score up. You can't get a small business loan with a credit score of 620. You can't get a decent home loan with a credit score of 620. The average credit score for a homeowner today is 728. Um, uh, of 85,000 mortgage applications that the Federal Reserve um, last uh, reviewed, only 8% of them had a credit score below 620. The only group of people in this country had a credit score who were homeowners in the sixes were African Americans. Now, does that mean that we are dumb or we're stupid? No, we're brilliant. When the rules are published and the playing field is leveled, the arts, sports, the military, when the rules are published and the playing field is leveled, we excel. Over it, around it, through it, we're going to get to it. But when you have something that's amorphous as free enterprise and capitalism and entrepreneurship and ownership and job creation, the answer there is we didn't get the memo, Sam. And that was what we talked about when you were last year. Exactly right. A year ago, that was what this was about. Yes, what we don't know that we don't know that's killing us, but we think we know. And that's Abraham Lincoln, not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., not Malcolm X, not some radical socialist notion, not some crazy so-called crazy leader, people who don't like some partisan conversation. Talk to me about what you have a problem with Abraham Lincoln, the father of this country. Uh, well, Abraham Lincoln created a bank called the Freedmen's Bank to teach free slaves about money. Well, he was killed the next month. So it's not like we got the memo on money and we screwed it up. We just never got the memo. So what does that have to do with your conversation, this conversation? Well, what, are, what two groups are catching hell today? What, have been, what two groups have been catching heck for the last 50 to 100 years? Native American Indians and African Americans. Oddly enough, the two groups who had their self-esteem devastated, their confidence devastated, their human dignity stripped away from them. I'm going to write a book called American Exceptionalism amongst my list of to-dos. And my philosophy is very simple. America's not some privileged, amazing, great place is better than anybody else. America is an idea. She's not a country, she's an idea. And the idea is freedom. And America sold this idea around the world, and Dr. King helped to keep the promise, because if you can't tell America that black folks were free in the 1960s, then no one else is going to think that they could be free. 
So he was just, re this was not a black movement, this was really the third or fourth symphony of the American freedom movement that goes back to the Civil War and goes back to before that to the freedom from Great Britain. But to, to stay focused on this topic, if you think about what America is, is freedom became a, a bell call for all people catching hell all around the world in the last 200 years. You know, and let's, take, let's stay focused on the last 100 years and be really crisp. So if you were catching, if you were in Poland, some dictator was, was repressing you and you had type A personality and you had a dream for you and your family or your future family, you left Poland, you came to America. You just described my great grandparents. Amen. Moving to Kansas City. Italians, the potato famine if you were, if you were Irish. Uh, the Germans, the Jews, the, you know, so we want to... Chinese in a railroad, the Chinese, right? Building so our We, we want to rail against the modern immigrants today coming over the border or whatever. They're not coming here to steal your stuff. They're coming here for the better, a better life. It's economics because they can't find jobs in their own country. By the way, you sort of want those strivers. You want those type A personalities who work hard, uh, pay, play by the rules once they understand what they are get up early, stay up late, start a business because they can't get a job somewhere and build something out of nothing. By the way, that was Walmart. That was Sam Walton with a pickup truck, a storefront, and a high school education, that, you know, which is now the largest retailer in the world. So, so, the, so America is a collection of type A personalities, immigrants all, from all over the world who came here to the equivalent of Ellis Island with a dream to live a life of aspiration with two dollars in your pocket. Now you come to Ellis Island with two bucks in your pocket after six thousand miles, nine thousand miles worth of travel over plane, train, automobile, boat, whatever, and you say you're gonna live the American dream, you're either criminally insane or you are a type A personality optimist with high self-esteem and confidence. And all of us, most of us, are descendants of those people. So those walking around with manicured nails now listening to your podcast or watching your show, three generations ago their granddad, great granddad, had dirt under their nails. They were doing blue collar while we're doing white collar. They had no collar at all. So what's my point? That the Native American Indian got their rear end whipped and their devastated self-esteem and their confidence. You can't succeed without self-esteem and confidence. So the biggest problem we have, Sam, is that we're trying to solve the problem in all the wrong ways. Poverty has nothing to do with money. Half of poverty is low self-esteem and lack of confidence in yourself. If you don't know who you are by nine in the morning, by dinner time, somebody's going to tell you who you are. You can't drive your car without confidence. You can't raise your child without confidence. Your children will take over your household if they believe you are weak. You can't even raise your dog without confidence. That dog's trying to figure out who the alpha is in that family. That dog will, will bite the furniture and piss on the carpet and, and lick you and say I love you at the same time. That, that dog's trying to figure out if Sam's not the boss, I'm going to be the boss. The minute Sam says, look, I love you, but I'm going to beat your little rear end if you don't sit there and do what I say. After a while, the dog goes, okay, he's crazier than me. I need to chill. At a certain point, the dog says he's the alpha. I'm good. Everybody wants to know who's in charge. You can't run this podcast without confidence. You can't. You, 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 no one can do anything without confidence. Well, what got devastated by Native American Indians? Their confidence, their self-esteem, their sense of, of, of dignity, their well-being, their, their belief in themselves. Then with that, the role modeling. And with that, their environment. What does environment mean? You hang around nine broke people, you'll be the tenth, right? With that came a sense of aspiration. That's called hope. The most dangerous person in the world is a person with no hope. So here, so, so, then, so then it means you never leave your porch. You never leave your reservation. You never leave the bottle.
So here's poverty. Crappy self-esteem, crappy confidence, crappy role models, a crappy environment. No hope, which means you see the glass of life is half empty, not half full, and now you're a drunk. Or now you've got some kind, of, some kind of addiction. Or now you never leave your porch. Or now you're not aspirational. By the way, that's the African-American experience. Because of slavery, we didn't select America to come here. We were selected by others to bring us here and had our confidence literally beaten out of us so we would behave, quote, unquote behave. So you wouldn't have a hundred slaves overtaking ten overseers with a gun who had at some point turned their back and go to sleep. I mean, there's a joke in the black community, the reason folks, folks love the NRA so much, it was created all, a long time ago when, when former slave owners and people thought that, you know, they don't have a gun at home, so at some point these black folks who have been so unjustly oppressed might rise up against them. We need to have a gun at home. That's the joke, actually, that doesn't get talked about, but in the black community is that the, the real history of NRA is this perception that we really screwed over a whole bunch of people, and maybe we should have something at home just in case they want to come back and have another conversation about it. We won't because that's not the way we're built, but that's the paranoia that drives some people to have a fear-based approach to life versus a love-based approach to life. We got more guns in this country than any modern uh, developed country in the world. We got more people in jail than any developed country in the world. In fact, we've got more people in prison than most developed countries combined. But has the crime rate gone down? Is the murder rate gone down? Is the level of division gone down? The answer, of course, is no, because we're, the world was built for light, but we learned uh, darkness is only defined by light. Badness is failed goodness. That if you believe in Lucifer the devil, he's a punk because the, God gives the devil permission to exist. So he ain't nothing. So the point is that we're, this whole universe is made for good. This, this whole universe is made for light. It's made uh, from positive energy. It's made for hope. And that's why rapes are still reported. That's why murders are still reported on the front page of the news because they're because they're as atrocious as they are, they're still rare. Otherwise, it wouldn't be reported. We're basically good people that are defaulting to bad behavior. So what we have to do is to, to understand what the real problem is, Sam, before we can solve it. The real problem of poverty is not financial. It's a dying spirit. And when you hold down a black man who is 250 pounds and a muscle coming out of every orifice of his body from Africa, working that land, who's an who's a agricultural genius in 1619, which was an agricultural age. These weren't dumb people coming from Africa. They were geniuses of the land. So we brought them here because they were geniuses of the land who had an enormous work ethic. But you could not have this guy twice your size with confidence and self-esteem rising up against you who basically is a tribal warrior. So you hold him down and you abuse his wife in front of him until his spirit breaks. And if the wife's not worse enough, then you abuse his daughter. And then you abuse his son. And then you send the kids off someplace and scatter the family. And you ban language. And you ban organization. And you ban education. You keep doing that until their spirit breaks. Because what you want is mechanized human machinery. Now, we got that. We built a country for free. In fact, uh, uh, slaves were worth more than railroads. In, 18, in, the mid 18, in, in the early 1800s, slaves were worth more than railroads, and railroads were arguably the most transformational asset for nationwide that this country had. Do you think that people are going to give up their way of life just because it's immoral? Do you really think the South were like, oh, you know, we yeah, slave is now, yeah, we, it's immoral, this is not a good thing to do. We should probably stop this. Let's, not, let's, let's give up the, the mansions, the, the chauffeured cars, back then it was horse and buggy, the, all the waiters and all that kind of stuff, just because it's immoral. No, no, let's go to war. <laughs> so, that, so, so that's where that came from. My point 
is that all this is economic. And blacks were, had their spirits broken because of bad capitalism. The legacy of that, though, after 250 years of slavery, where you're told you ain't nothing, your grandmama ain't nothing, your great-grandmama ain't nothing, your daddy ain't nothing, by the way, your name is not man, it's boy, and children looking at that and role modeling that, 250 years of that and 100 years of Jim Crow that ended in 1970, not 1870, which is in our lifetime, is that you pretty, if you're African American, you may have a suit and tie on and a great education, but actually you feel like crap. And you might be depressed. You said that. You said that. that um, when we talked a year ago, you talked about the depression rate, where you really believe it is. I believe but that 70% of African-Americans African are depressed. And by the way, I, when I go speak to my white brothers and sisters, I say, if you went through half of what African-Americans went through, you'd be crazy too. So, so now you have a whole group of people armed for defense, not offense, who are experts at surviving, not thriving who are not victors mentality, but a victim in mentality. That's why our institutions in the black community are defensive. Civil rights, social justice, police brutality, anti this, anti that, anti lynching. So all that's great, but it doesn't pay a bill. It doesn't pay rent. It, it doesn't, none of that, which is, by the way, all necessary, but it doesn't advance you in a society that is completely focused on rewarding achievement and aspiration. But this is a society that was delivered to us. So now we're being blamed for not being equipped for a society that didn't give us a memo on money, that repressed our spirit, that broke our self-esteem and our confidence, that robbed us of a sense of family or the black man's ability to protect his wife. So now we wonder why 70% uh, of all black households are run by a woman and the man's not around. These things actually make common sense. And this is also why at 11FS we back it so much, the entire message of Operation Hope, of Promise Homes, what we always talk about is it's great to be a thought leader. How about doing something, right? How about having something that's actionable? And by the way, if anybody thinking that I'm talking about black people, the number one group dying in America are poor white males. Yeah. <laughs> They're dying faster than anybody else. Depression. Massive depression. Massive, Massive levels depression. of lost hope, right? So this is a human issue. It's just that when, when the mainstream America has a headache, black folks have pneumonia. That's all. That's the only uh, difference. You know, one thing that I love, I saw this story and I thought of you. So we just had the draft, right? In the NFL, New York Giants signed, and I'm going to slaughter his name, Saquon Barkley, second pick. And I was, I was telling Laura and, and, and Simone about this this morning. He took his entire $31 million signing contract. He took his salary and he's investing all of it. He's only living off endorsement income. It's brilliant. I think he read the book. It's brilliant. He may, he may have got the memo. <laughs> and and yeah, I yeah. think there are, there are role models, and like you said, that go across race, but there are. I'm, I'm, the one thing that I'm really getting sick and tired of is the messaging that we're getting hammered with, right? And I like that you mentioned on, like, broken homes, right? Mm -hmm. and, the, and the number of, of kids that are growing up out of a broken home, especially, and they, they love, and I say they, I don't know what they is, but the proverbial... I'm a young black male and I have no role models. Man, I can point to something. I hype you up constantly, by the way, about it. But there are. I mean, and, and there's, you know, I, folks like Steph Curry. I love LeBron. I mean, LeBron's doing great stuff. LeBron flat out says, I'm going to be a billionaire. That's right. And investing money back into education, starting schools. And into and community and paying for kids. Absolutely. Degrees. We've got to make smart sexy again. We've been making dumb sexy for too dang on long. We've dumbed down and celebrated it. My ultimate goal, Sam, is and why I'm building the nonprofit as now the largest nonprofit financial inclusion organization in America, Operation Hope and Hope Inside. Why I'm building 
promise homes and to be ultimately a, a billion dollar uh, enterprise, uh, the largest minority controlled owner of single family rental real estate in this country, empowering people with affordable housing and opportunity, opportunity home ownership. And then ultimately this digital platform uh, that will have, that has now 70 million video views um, and just under a million followers will ultimately have a, a few hundred million video views and let's just say five to eight million followers. That triangle for me is pointing toward the new role model image that we need to have of ourselves, which is that of a job creator. We need an image of ourselves as an entrepreneur, as a businessman or a businesswoman. That, that then leads to us being a philanthropist or somebody who can give back to our own and others' communities. We have uh, images of ourselves that are fantastic uh, for social justice, uh, for civil rights, for uh, freedom, for democracy, uh, local politicians, state politicians, even with President Barack Obama as the most powerful man in the free world. Unfortunately, he was president when the, when the government was broke. <laughs> so we, he needed to really be president in the 70s and the 80s, uh, maybe the 90s. By the time he became president in the year 2000 and whatever, the, the whole game changed from politics to money. So, so government's broke, you can't do the Marshall Plan again, Politically, no one has a, uh, a taste for big, bold anything. In fact, there was a movement to make government smaller. And now the movement is toward more toward free enterprise, but we don't have a free enterprise leader. So uh, I wrote an article four years ago as I was serving President Barack Obama. I've served three presidents, as you know, Republican and Democrat, Bush, Clinton, Obama, saying that if, uh, that, that if Bill Gates were black, it had been a hundred times more important than having a black president, no disrespect intended to Barack Obama, who was a great president, period, who happened to be black, full of dignity, not one scandal. And yes, he didn't focus enough on the, on the economy and all that stuff. But he gets a pass. He him. gets a we'll pass. Uh, uh, <laughs> and certainly now he gets a pass. We've got to understand that we are living history makers, all of us, and people are modeling what they see. If we had a black Bill Gates who was worth 50, 60 billion dollars. His lieutenants would be worth a billion each. The, vice, the senior vice presidents would be worth 200 million each. The vice presidents would be worth a million each. And each one of those would be reinvesting in their communities, creating internships, hiring people, role modeling, and all that ripple effect and the 10,000 people working in that company plus probably actually more like 100,000 people if it was uh, a Microsoft, literally, literally is transforming, literally GDP, community jobs, and generations. And unlike political uh, uh, administrations that change every four years, that company could be around for 50 to 100 years and change everything. So we need a job creator image of ourselves now. That's my focus. You challenged me on that because when I interviewed a year ago, because I said, why aren't you running for office? Especially with the connections you have with Ambassador Young as a mentor and, and, and yeah, just incredible. And especially here in Atlanta, right? The, the, what we have in talent. And I was like, why won't you run? And you walked me through this. But what I loved is you said, name black billionaires. And I went, okay. And then we sat here and I went, oh man. That's and, and if you want to make it, if, you want to, if I want to really stomp you, make, name a black billionaire. I always get in trouble when I say this because it sounds like, sound like I'm dissing my friends who are in entertainment, I'm not. Yeah, name but a, name a business. black billionaire or multi-multi-millionaire who's not an entertainer or a sports figure. So 
I can't scale Oprah Winfrey. I love Oprah Winfrey. She's given us money. I just saw her friend Gail King last week. I mean, she's helped me become successful. Who doesn't love Oprah? But I can't scale Oprah Winfrey. I mean, and I don't know how many employees she's got, but it's not 10,000, right? She's selling her brand, as she should, by the way. I can't scale Jay-Z. I can't scale LeBron. These are personalities-driven enterprises, and they're, mark, they're entrepreneurs of their own brand. Fantastic, by the way, but it's not scalable. How do you take 100 million people and give them a vision that they can use? You started the we Let started with plumbers. Let me create, yeah, but you, I'm I like making 100,000 a year. Let me I break. like where you started at Promise Homes, right? Because you, you were listing out goals, right, of what you wanted to achieve in a very short time frame. It sounded very much like David Brayer and what 11FS is going to be, right, this billion-dollar company. But you started there, and that's where you told me you could see change, that your role and where you see yourself is stepping into those shoes. You could do so much more within the financial system, right? And, and the success you've had in a single year around Promise Homes. Only Atlanta? Have you got out of this geo yet? Uh, we're in Atlanta, Orlando, uh, Tallahassee. We're in basically uh, in Georgia and Florida, but we are uh, – and we just – Signing a deal tomorrow for another twenty-six million dollar deal for another two hundred and X number of homes. Um, so we're gonna we'll be national by this time next year. I guarantee you, San Francisco parts of it would love you right now. I am not investing in San Francisco. <laughs> you can buy a doorknob in San Francisco for one hundred fifteen thousand dollars. It's crazy. Or L.A. where I grew up. Yeah, those these prices are nuts. I'm looking for affordable uh, housing for people. Well, you, it is. You can come to Atlanta and buy a hundred thousand dollar house. Yeah, middle class. With a yard in the front and the back, and I mean, you know, these prices. Low income in San Francisco right now is one hundred seventeen thousand dollars. I mean, you you are you on a bread line one hundred seventeen thousand dollars in San Francisco. It's Isn't unbelievable. It but it's something that we we embrace and and set as that level. Right? It's what you want to be like. You want to do that, and that's not. No, the that's reality. what somebody wants to be like. There you go. No, yeah, yep. no, no thank you. They didn't I just went and bought. I just went and bought a thirteen acre, basically foreclosed gut rehab, in fifteen minutes New York for it in the near country in Fayetteville, and I couldn't be more excited about it. You know, there's two ways to make money. Make more or spend less, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and when your outflow exceeds your inflow, then your overhead will be your downfall. Yep. So when all my friends are buying in Buckhead and where traffic is and all that kind of crap, I'm going to where the market's going next, and I think the market's going next south of the freeway, south of the airport, yeah. I mean. This city has changed. When I lived here, I lived north side, right, yep. back in the 90s. Yep. We're and talking the about Atlanta, by the way. Seen, oh, man, the east side, the south. This place is exploding. Is it, this town has actually made me proud. We've had Simone and Lori here, and I'm like, man, this place has changed. It's well, actually fantastic. And let's talk about Atlanta for a minute. Atlanta versus Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. So Birmingham, Alabama could have been Atlanta. It's supposed to be Atlanta. Um, should have had the airport, had the same demographics, had the same platform, uh, competed for the airport, competed for, to be Atlanta. But Birmingham decided to argue about race, and we decided to compete and argue about money. Atlanta won. And they're still arguing about race in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to Birmingham now, and I love Birmingham, I've got offices there, it looks like you, parts of Birmingham look like you haven't left 1962. And if you want to find economies stuck on stupid, Find economies that have rejected diversity, rejected progress. If you want to find an economy that's exploding, find a diverse one. You know, the largest economy in the world, U.S. economy, the only, race of only economy with every race of people within its borders. The two largest economies in the U.S., California and New York. The two most ethnically diverse places in the U.S., California and New York. Can't make this up. So I think, again, coming back to uh, organic, coming back to the way this universe and the world was formed, coming back to, I think, God's intention, coming back to 
the, you know, the universe being a, a, a place, a mechanism for good, having the wind at your back versus the wind at your face. Well, I think that we've just got to remember what our storyline is. We have to remember what made us great. Remember why, why America is the beacon or has been the beacon for the whole free world. It's freedom, man. So I said there were three things that changed from a year ago. So one you was got Promise some, Homes. You, you got more handsome. The memo. <laughs> I look better. I wear T-shirts and shorts. The last one is the ring on your finger. Congratulations. Yes, yes my Never Schaefer. thought I'd see that day. Yeah. And that's a good note to end on because unbelievably you got married. Yeah, and, and she's fine. And she, she's fine. You've done very well. She's fine. I'm married I'm up. Proud of you. I'm married above my station. You, I was going to say that joke, but you did well. I'm also really proud of the success you had. Promise Homes has been fantastic. It means a lot to me. You've been listening to another episode of Fintech Insiders by 11FS, just in case you didn't realize that after the past 40 minutes. If you like what you heard, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please do go out and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We love getting feedback from our listeners. And if you have interview suggestions, then please do forward these on to us. Thanks for listening.